You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Amen. Good morning, church. How we doing? All right. We're ready for the barbecue. We got to wait a while. Yay, food. So my name is Simon. If we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you, shake your hand, hear more about your story. Um, We are starting a new series, as David had said. And as I was thinking about that new story, uh, series that we're going through, I was thinking about education. Uh, I had a kid graduate this week, so that's all I've been talking about is education and the higher system of learning, which is higher or lower, depending on your stances. But there's always those teachers that stand out, right? You can probably think back, there was a teacher that helped you understand a subject or a skill or something that that made it pop for the first time, that clicked, that connected, that you're like, man, I don't know what it is. The way that he or she teaches really allows me to understand and grasp the concept. And as I was growing up, I had a couple of uh, teachers, uh, Mr. Rouse and Mr. Hewitt were those two teachers that really kind of like stood out to me as people that helped me learn. Uh, as I got older, maybe uh, for you, it's uh, going to church. The word of God never really made sense until you listen to a certain pastor communicate in a certain way. Uh, Tim Keller just passed a couple of weeks ago. He was a guy that really kind of poured into my life and we never met. But he was one of those teachers that helped me understand how the gospel penetrates cities in a way that I'd never seen before. Out of all of that, Jesus was the master teacher. There was no one better than Jesus when it came to teaching. He could take a phrase, an idea, an everyday common object and expand on the real meaning and the purpose and the kingdom of God, who we are, what we do, how we interact with God. He was just so good at it and he did it all the time. And as we were thinking about What is our next series going to be on? The series is Jesus Teaches On, dot, dot, dot. And we're going to look at 10 different subjects that Jesus has taught through. And so we'll end somewhere in mid-August. But we're just going to look at what did Jesus specifically teach on different subjects. And today's topic is the topic of rest. Or it would have been seen in the day of Christ, known as the Sabbath. So we're going to use that term Sabbath and rest back and forth all day today. So if you're wondering what I'm doing, that's what I'm doing. That's what's happening. But what Jesus wants us to know is what Sabbath is meant for, who it's for, the purpose of it, and how ultimately Sabbath is a gift from God that he has given us because he loves us so much. Now you may say, Simon, why did you pick the topic of Sabbath? Like, uh, why would you talk about rest? Well, here's the reason why. I talk to you people all week long, all throughout the month. I love talking with you. And there's something I say, hey, how's it going? Do you know the number one response that I receive from everyone? I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so tired. I need rest. Like, I'm just trying to make it the vacation. I hear that all the time. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It's funny. We were promised with technology Less work, more recreation. And isn't that true? The answer is no. I'm just letting you know. The answer is no. That is, that is inaccurate. As a matter of fact, what we found is that we work more. We work harder hours. Cost of living has gone up, so we work harder for less. 
And everyone just seems to see like they're loaded down. I talk with stay-at-home moms that are like, it's crazy. I, I don't get a break. I'm like, I know you have a harder job than everybody else. I can escape. I have an office. I can shut a door. Kids don't listen that way. Or I talk to stay-at-home moms that are staying at home, and then they also work part-time. Like, there's just, how do you do that? I talk to students that are taking massive loads. My son just finished his... Uh, his uh, junior college, 21 units and work. Almost straight A's. He's not here, so I can brag on him. One B, I'm all, you failure. So I'm kidding. <laughs> but I mean, he's like, and why? So he can end on time. It wasn't even like he was trying to be extra. He just wanted to end on time. And he's tired and he's busy. And I hear all the time that people are just tired of the work and they want a little rest. They want a little relaxation. They want to feel like that they're not trying to hold all these spinning plates in the air. That is why we're talking about rest today. And ultimately, I think it's a bigger picture than just not working. And so where I want to land today is in the book of Mark, chapter 2. Now, it's interesting what we'll find as we go through the series, that there'll be times where in different sections of the Bible, it's the same um, story, the same teaching taught in different areas. So you can actually find this section. So it's Mark, chapter 2, starting in 23, and it's going to go through chapter 3, verse 6. Um, don't freak out. The numbers were added later. They're not in canon. Okay, so that's all right. Those are just there as a reference to know where we're going. But you can find this account in Matthew 12, 1 through 14. You can find it in Luke 6, 1 through 11. You can also find another kind of teaching like this in the book of John as well, though it's not the exact same account. So that being said, do you think it's important if it was in all of them? The answer is yes, it's absolutely important. So let's start reading, then we'll get into it. One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was in need and hungry, and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time after the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And he watched Je they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll jump into it this week. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this section as, as we talk about rest, as we talk about Sabbath, as we talk about how you are the embodiment of Sabbath, Jesus. I ask that you would penetrate our hearts that we would not have hard hearts like the Pharisees, that we'd see the real meaning and the purpose behind Sabbath and how you have been weaving this idea ever since the beginning of creation and how we have an anticipation of the ultimate rest that we will receive when we are with you one day. 
Holy Spirit, if there are things that I need not say today, I ask that you would take those from my notes and my mouth and my mind. If there are things that need to be communicated to this group of individuals specifically, that you would allow me to communicate that, trusting that you are doing something that I am unaware of. We love you. We pray for this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. Now, as we look at this text, you may say, it seems like we're in two different sections, Simon, and it feels that way, but we're really not. What you have is a building teaching moment that's going on with Jesus. So we're going to look at the first section, and then we're going to look at the second section and see how they're all interconnected, and Jesus is really trying to drive home the big idea. Now, the story itself, it's not really complicated. It's not hard to figure out what's going on, but if we miss understanding the key idea, this isn't going to make any sense. If, if we miss the key idea, the theme of Sabbath, you're going to feel like, well, I don't, I don't get it. Like, why, why are they freaking out? Why is Jesus mad? I don't get it. Well, we have to do some work. So the, the first point is, what is Sabbath? So I'm going to give you the translation, then I'm going to give you the definition so you can understand it. The translation of Sabbath, which means cease, rest, or complete rest. That is the word that's used that we're going to look at today. Um, the definition is a day of complete rest from secular work following six days of labor established and modeled by God. That last part, as my opinion, is very important to what we're talking about because... Some scholars would say that the Sabbath wasn't introduced until the Ten Commandments and Moses was up on Mount Sinai. And I would say I disagree with that completely. I do not agree with that stance. And most scholars would say that they disagree with that idea that that was only instated right there. We have the writing of it, yes, but it was modeled at a much earlier time. If you go all the way back in the Bible to Genesis chapter 1, you get the creation story where God creates everything. There was nothing, and he just starts speaking things into existence, okay? So that's what happens. And there's a phrase that takes place in those six days of creation. It says, there was evening and there was morning. So every day we see that there is this thing that takes place. There's a beginning and an end of each day, and it progressively keeps building off of itself into the sixth day. Well, then we get to the seventh day, and the seventh day is different. Something totally different takes place on the seventh day, and in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. So the key ideas and the words that are in there are finished, holy, and rested. If you're looking, if you like to highlight key words, that's what I do. They're in my Bible that way. And that's what's going on. So we see that God rests after making everything. And he says that the day is holy. If you're not from the church world, all that means is set apart, that it's different, that it's special. That's all the word holy means is God says, I am making this day different from every other single day that's happened up until this point, which has only been the seven days now. And so that's what he's saying. And he's saying that God was the rest that Adam and Eve got to live in and enjoy. So as we see this resting take place, it's not that God was tired. 
God is all powerful, but there is a moment of rest and that rest is symbolic that he is saying, you now get to rest in me and what I have created and what I have done. The rest flows out of me and that's what's going on. But the problem is this, sin came. Sin ruined everything. It ruined that rest that they had. It, it ruined that relationship. That rest is connected to relationship and how they interact with the world and everything around them. And that rest was then replaced with hard work. Notice how I said hard work, not work. Because work existed before that. Actually, it was good. Now, it's hard for us to even imagine that there was a restfulness to doing work before the fall. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't see that. I don't know what that looks like. But apparently, that was a part of what it meant to be in communion with God. And that was replaced with hard work. And it would be difficult. It was not going to bring the life that they once experienced before. It was going to require toil and sweat and pain. And it would yield very little. And that was part of the curse. See, that rest that was lost when sin entered the world, we see that there was a promise of the problem of sin and the fact that there needed to be a solution to the problem of sin. And we see that very early on in Genesis 3. And so what was going to happen is God was going to show them rest and he was going to keep pointing to the rest that he ultimately designed, the perfection of the garden that we were meant to live in and that there was going to build that into his people. He was going to do that through tradition and through a cycle of rest that they would see that so it would always be in front of them as they lived as a people group and what God was going to do for his people and that ultimately there would be hope for those people and a rest that was not here yet but they could anticipate looking forward to. Fast forward, they're in Egypt, doesn't seem very restful. They're slaves, they're, they're being beaten, they're being killed, they're being taken advantage of. God sees them, hears them, and saves them from that slavery. And he frees them, he makes them a great people, a great nation. And then he, he instates the laws. They go to the mountain, and God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and he gives them these laws, right? Well, within those laws was this thing called Sabbath. Exodus 16, 1 through 36. I'm not going to read it all, but if you want to go and look at the first institution of how that played out, here's the synopsis, but you can go and read all the details. The idea was this, that God was going to do this crazy thing to show how Sabbath worked for his people and how he would ultimately provide for them. Okay, So what he does is they're in the desert, they're wandering around. If you've ever tried to exist in the desert, it's very, very hard. There's not a lot of food. And you've got upwards to a million people that need to eat. And so God shows up and says, hey, here's what I'm going to do. Every morning, I'm going to make this stuff appear on the ground. It's going to look like bread. It's going to be called manna. And it's going to be a bread-like substance that you can eat that will give you substance. And here's how I want you to go and get this food. I want you to take your vessel, a pot of some sort, and I want you to go out to where it's at. I want you to gather enough. Don't gather too little. Don't gather too much. Gather the Goldilocks just right amount for your family. If you gather extra or more, what's going to happen? It's going to rot. It's going to be full of maggots. Like, that doesn't sound delicious at all. No, it's not. And so he says, so if you take too much and try to, like, load yourself up, gone. And every day you have to go out. You got to bring your jar. You got to fill up with your man and you got to eat so you can watch the provision of God every single day. And you do that one through six, right? Well, here's what happened. On the sixth day, you'd say, hey, 
On the sixth day, it's going to be different. I want you to gather enough for two days. And you're probably thinking, well, that's going to turn to maggots because you said it's going to turn to rotten maggots and we don't want that. He's like, no, this is a day of rest. And I want you to gather so you don't have to work, so you don't have to toil, so you can rest in my provision. And not only will I sustain it, I will keep it and allow you to eat. Now, if you try to take too much again, that will go sideways. You can't do that. And so that was the principle that was laid out for those individuals. Here's the thing. We need to understand this. Does that sound like a burden? Seems pretty, pretty great. You mean, I don't have to work? I, I can actually like, exist and just know that you're going to provide for me? It was a gift based out of love. God loved his people, this new people that he just made a covenant with. He says, I love you so much, I'm going to show you that there is rest that you get to exist in, and it's going to be based around my provision, my, my presence, my goodness, and everything that you need. They didn't even know they needed it, and yet God provides it for them. And that rest was to be a pointer of the rest that they once had, and the promise and the rest to be anticipated. And that cycle would take place every single week. And that became the Sabbath they would practice. Now, we were in a group a couple weeks ago, and we started talking about numbers. Numbers are in the Bible. They're all over the place. And seven is a number that comes up over and over again. We looked at that uh, not too long ago. But the idea that this was a every seventh day became important. Remember, seven really kind of flows around the idea of wholeness or completeness, that that's what that would look like in their life. And so what would end up happening is not only would they practice every week, they would practice this Sabbath where they would trust and not work. They wouldn't try to provide for themselves. They trust God to provide. They had, I had to think about the numbers. That's really sad how hard that was for me to make the number seven. <laughs> seven festivals as well. And the Jewish people had seven festivals that would take place throughout the year. So now we're taking the number seven for the week. Now it's seven things that are happening in the year. And these seven festivals were ones that maybe you've heard of. It would be Passover. It would be unleavened bread. It would be the first fruits are also known as the, the festival of Pentecost, uh, the festival of harvest, the festival of trumpets known as Rosh Hashanah, where they would actually blow the trumpets like the, the anticipation of the Messiah that would come back. The Atonement, or Yom Kippur, or the Tabernacle, or also known as the, the, um, the Festival of Booths. And so all of these were meant to do what? To remind them of God's promise, provision, and care in their life. And it was a time of celebration, and it was a time of rest. So now you've got once a week, seven times a year, like that seems like a lot. It just keeps going. Like I'm not even halfway through yet. And so what would happen next is that we saw that there was these every seven years... What would happen with the people? There'd be the, the, um, the Sabbath year would come up. And during that time, there were all these things that God would do. He would then give rest to different individuals. Slaves were liberated. So if you were, had sold yourself into slavery to pay stuff, you were now free. If there was debts that were owed, those debts would be forgiven and taken care of. As a matter of fact, God was so good, he actually made the land, physical dirt, take a Sabbath. See, if you know agriculture or farming, you'll know that if you work the land too hard, ultimately you steal all the nutrients and everything out of it and it can't produce. They didn't know that, but God did. And God knew that by taking that, two things had to happen. One, he had to provide enough of a crop the year prior to allow them to sustain the year of not producing a crop. And they had to trust that afterwards God would produce a crop that would then show up so they could eat again. 
Do you see what God is doing in these things? And you're like, that's great. I'm not done. I'm not even done. There's still another one. And so then, after seven cycles of the seven years, you had 49 years, which actually on the 50th year, that was called the year of Jubilee. And that was like the big one. It's like, we've gone through seven cycles of the seven years, and now we have this great thing. And that's when all the land and the debt and everything was restored and forgiven. And there was wholeness with the people in that moment. And so you see that, you're like, that, why are we even talking about this? We haven't even, we've, we've barely even touched this. We haven't even touched the main idea. Because if we don't understand this, you're not going to understand what a huge part this was with these people generation after generation after generation would practice this. That this was a part of their DNA. It was written on their hearts. Like, to mess with the Sabbath is to mess with them as a people, which is to mess with the God that they love and they worship. And this is the idea that was based in Sabbath. And so, if you even think about this, there's this idea, this past and future hope that we keep talking about. It was all moving to the ultimate rest, right? God was going to do that, and it was going to culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. This rest that we want, this rest that we anticipate, this rest that we all think we feel deep in our hearts. Here's the crazy part. Jesus launches his ministry. He goes into a synagogue. He opens the scroll. He reads from Isaiah. He's like, today this has been fulfilled in your sight. And everyone's like, what? Do you know what day it was? It was a Sabbath. It was the Sabbath day. There are no coincidences in the Bible. God has orchestrated all of this to happen. So the very rest that they yearned for and hoped for, as they would have the festival of trumpets and Rosh Hashanah, they're actually saying, we're waiting for the Messiah. It's like, yeah, me. That, that's, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that's going to bring the ultimate rest that you desire. The rest, not just from work, but the rest for your soul and for eternity. That's who I am. That's what I'm doing. Yet, we see that it's where we find ourselves today because they didn't get that. And they didn't understand that. And that's where we are. So who was the Sabbath made for is my second point. Now, the funny part about the story is that Jesus is just walking down the road. He's with his guys, and they're grabbing seeds. I don't know if you've ever been, like, walking along farmlands or whatever, and you're like, hey, there's some cherries, or hey, there's some grapes, or hey, here's some figs or an apple. I've done that, and you're like, you're a thief. Maybe I am. But that's what I would do is I would walk along in those areas. And so it's just like just a very casual, I'm not harvesting. I'm just grabbing an apple and eating an apple. And that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. They're walking from one town to the next, and this is happening. And all of a sudden, there's this big uproar, and the Jews are like, whoa, 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 Sabbath! Sabbath, you're working! What are you doing? Now, you need to understand this about the Sabbath. When it came to the Pharisees, the, the, the Pharisees didn't want to break any of the commandments. That was their, their role was to meet the law, the requirements, to, to do everything that God had said. And so what they started to do is they started to put up guardrails in place. And all those guardrails were so you couldn't even get close to breaking the commandments. So if I, if I don't do any of these things, I'll never do it. But what they started to do is they started to believe that that was the law of God. They had over 39 different rules that they had added to the Sabbath to say, and if you break it, you're in sin. That's what they were doing. Weird things like you can't write on the Sabbath. You can't even write one word, but you can write one letter of a word. Like what? 
Hey, I, I, I don't know what, that, what you do with that. Or it's like, you can only take so many steps. Now, they didn't have trackers, so I don't know if they just kept a count or they had like beads or something. You can only walk 1,999 steps. But boy, if you hit 2,000, you're a sinner. Like, oh, my, my livestock fell in a pit. Well, you might be able to get them out, depending on the rules that we've made for the Sabbath. Or you might not. It's all these weird things. And so Jesus looks at it. He's like, you've taken this amazing gift and you've literally made it a burden. You've made it hard. You're, you, you haven't made it good. You haven't made it enjoyable. You've taken all the fun out of it. It's like the person who unwraps Christmas presents and doesn't rip into them. We have to undo each little side and I got to keep the paper and save it. You're like, that's me. I'm not talking about you. You take all the fun out of it. Rip that thing open. Get after it. That was not in my notes. That's going to bite me later. Um, so then Jesus then says to the Pharisees, and I love it. So have you not read? Now, who's he talking to? These dudes that have memorized full books of the Old Testament. He's like, don't you know your Bible? That's really what he's saying. He's like, well, of course I do. I have it all memorized. He says, remember when King David, he was on the run and him and his men ate food in the house of the Lord that they weren't supposed to eat? Not only did he go in there, it was only for the priest. He ate it. He gives it to some other guys and you're okay with that? You think that's just really good? But you're not okay with us walking down the road, grabbing some grain? Like these spectrums are just so opposed. Like you're not even making sense right now. And really what he's saying is you've missed the point of Sabbath. You don't understand it. You don't get it. You think you get it, but you're actually totally wrong. God has given us this for rest, to show the wholeness that we need, to show the gift giver that God really is with us. And he makes this huge statement that they wouldn't have really understood. It would have, they would have had no compartment for it. He says, the Sabbath was made for man. What's he saying there? What's really going on? He's saying, it's a gift to enjoy. God gave us this idea of rest because he loves us and he cares for us. It, see, rest is not a burden, is it? You ever feel like, oh man, I'm just burdened down with all this rest. I had, I, gosh, this is the worst ever. No, we don't think that way. We say that with work, don't we? I'm burdened by all the work that I have to do. And that's what he's saying. This is a blessing from God for us to receive. And then he follows it up with, the, with the, the, like the contrary statement, man was not made for the Sabbath. Hear what he's saying. We were not made to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to serve us. They would have had no compartment for that. That would have made no sense to them whatsoever because their whole world was based on meeting the requirements of the law to please God. And so if you're not doing that, then something's off. And then he makes this even bigger statement to fly. If that wasn't enough, he's like, well, I got, I got one more for you. Like, hold on, guys, I'll really rally you up. And he says this in verse 28, so the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now that might seem like a big deal until you realize what he's actually saying. If God did create the Sabbath and the rest in Genesis chapter two, what is he saying? I made it in creation 
because I created everything. If you don't believe me, go to John chapter one and see how Jesus was the one who created all things. He's like, I'm the creator, I'm God. So who do you think you are to question me on Sabbath and what it is? He's claiming who he is and what it's for. That, that, that is not going to go over well. The wholeness and rest that you Pharisees all desire, it's wrapped up in me. All of it. He is the Sabbath incarnate is what he is. He is the ultimate rest, the cosmic rest. Rest comes from Christ and Christ alone. To experience the rest that we desire, it first starts with rest in our soul with Christ. That's where it comes from. And then all the other rest, it just flows into all the other areas we understand who God is, what he's done, and how much he loves us. Well, how should the Sabbath work? Now, maybe you're sensing the frustration that the Pharisees had with Jesus in this moment. See, it was their hard hearts that would not let them see what Jesus was saying. They wouldn't even accept what he was saying and what he wanted to do. And so what they are trying to do in the second section is they're literally trying to build a case to attack Jesus because they don't like what he's saying because their hearts were that hard. And all Jesus is going to do, he's like, oh, I'll just ump the, I'm going to ump the ante. I'm going to make it even more frustrating for you so you can see what I'm doing. So he goes to the synagogue, which is where you would go to worship. This is, we're kind of doing some of that right now. We're kind of having a Sabbath where we're focused on God. We're reading about God. We're singing to God. We're praising God. We're giving offerings and tithes to God. That's a worshipful day focused on God. That's really what it is. That's what we're doing right now. And in a couple hours, we're going to Sabbath playing cornhole and eating hot dogs and hamburgers. We're going to do that too. And so what he says, he sees this guy. And he's like, hey, you have a withered hand. So something happened with his hand. I, I, I've met people, some atrophy stick comes in. There's something wrong with their hands. The muscles don't grow. They die. And the hand, it, just, it doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. Jesus sees that individual and he says, hey, stand up and come here. Right in the middle of everybody. He's like, oh, why are you picking me, Jesus? Like, don't make an example out of me. So he calls him up to the middle and he comes up there to talk. See, Jesus saw him and he says, this man is not whole. This man is not complete. Now, before you start sending me emails and saying how handicapped people are awesome people, they are, as a matter of fact, and they are worthy and they're amazing because they're made in the image of God. But you know what we were all born as humans to have? Two hands, two feet, two legs, two arms. That's how it's supposed to be. Sin has ruined that. We understand that. It's not attacking the worth of the individual. It just means that that individual is not complete in the design that they were designed to be. And Jesus sees that. But what he really sees in us is this, is that sin has made us incomplete. We're not whole. We're not who we're meant to be. We're not who we were designed to be. And there's a brokenness. So as Jesus is looking at this man in his hand, he's really looking at us in our heart and he's trying to show the same thing that's going on. Is there something that is broken? There's something that's not right. And then in Mark 4, uh, sorry, Mark 3, 4, he just asks a very simple question. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? This is, a, this is a question that a child can answer. This is not a hard question. It's low-hanging fruit. It's the same kind of questions that I ask you on Sundays so you don't feel like you're going to get the answer wrong. That's what he's doing. It's almost rhetorical, but he wants them to answer. You know what pride does in our heart? 
When pride is the ruler in your heart, it cannot be wrong. It cannot admit that you're off in some way. It defends your position even more aggressively, even if it's more insane. Have you ever talked to someone like that? You ever argue with someone like that? Like, you have the facts, you know they're wrong, you're showing them the facts, like, no, no, I'm right. You're like, no, you're not. The sky is blue. No, it's not, it's purple. I'm like, Wait, what? Pride does that. Pride is saying that I can't be wrong. I know everything. I'm right about all things. This is what's going on with the Pharisees. This is who they are. They're refusing to admit fault in any way possible. And instead of having to admit any wrong, what do they do? I'm going to plead the fifth. They remain silent. That's what they do. They rather say nothing than own the fact that they are wrong. And Jesus' response is so powerful because it's connected to a lot of stuff. It says that Jesus is angry. Very nice understatement in, in the Bible. In the original text, the word is wrath. Like, that's, that seems like a harsh word. Yeah, it is a harsh word. That's how he wasn't frustrated. He wasn't perturbed. He wasn't put off. It says that he was angry to the point he was full of wrath, meaning a feeling of intense anger that does not subside, often on an epic scale. That's different than just being a little, little frustrated, isn't it? That's how he was in that moment. They're wrong. They're in sin. They are literally leading other people astray with what they're saying about the Sabbath and what rest looks like. They're saying, it's okay. You can find rest in following all the law. Jesus is like, no, you can't. The whole point of law is show that you can't do it. You don't have the ability to save yourself. You'll never find that rest. It is an endless hole that you'll never find the bottom of. See, he knows they're in sin. He knows that they need to repent and turn to truth. But the, the, the people that should know what they should do the most are the ones that refuse to do it. If anyone should know what they should do right now, it's them, and they don't. See, sin has to be dealt with. For the wages of sin is death. It's the wrath of God being poured out. Jesus knows that. He also knows that he is going to be the one that's going to absorb the wrath of God for all of humanity and the sin and the brokenness in their life. And so there's this intense anger of like, do you not even understand? Do you really think, like, why would I come and die for no reason? If you could do it, why would I need to be here? Why would, I, why would you need a savior? You wouldn't. That's the point. But then it, there's this other emotion mixed up at the exact same time. As he is full of wrath and anger and frustration and just towards all this, what is he? It says he's grieved. He's grieved to be caused to feel sorrow. So his intense anger and intense sadness and sorrow for the same people. Meaning that as he is full of anger, knowing that the sin and the rebellion must be punished, he's also sad at the same time because they're so blind to the truth and understanding what's going on. He saw their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. And I, his anger, it's pointed at the hearts, the brokenness of the heart, the condition of the heart. Because really what they're saying is they didn't need saving. 
we have the same heart towards God when we engage in sin, when we don't trust God, when we don't believe God, when we do the opposite of what God would say is good or right, when we do things God says, don't do that, it's bad for you, and we just headlong run into it. That's the same heart that we have. We're right, God. You're wrong. We're smarter than you. That is pride. There is no humility in that statement. And by the way, there is no place in the gospel for pride. It cannot exist. Without humility, there is no salvation. So what does Jesus do? He tells the man, stretch out your hand. And as soon as he does, his hand is healed and made new again. The word it actually uses is it's restored, restoration, to be made whole, to be made complete. Is that a word we've been talking about for a while here? The man's hand was a picture of what God was going to do on a cosmic scale for everyone in their sins. The very thing that God showed us in Genesis 2. The thing that we had been, they had been working to see for thousands of years. Now the response from the Pharisees is crazy. It's, it's nuts. Their response is so, so out there. As soon as he does this and they see what's going on, they, um, they literally, I just, I don't, is a miracle really work? They wouldn't know because they've never been able to do it. But yet they equate the fact that Jesus does this miracle and heals this man with work. They're like, ha, Sabbath breaker. What? what? But if you listen carefully to what was happening and what's going to take place in this, in, in this there is something that was said in verse, four, in, in verse four. He said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to kill. Do you realize that Jesus was calling them out before they even had a response? What does Jesus do? He gives life, a new life to that hand, and then what do they do immediately? How can we kill this guy? They are literally plotting on how to kill a man on the day of rest, the Sabbath. Do we see the hypocrisy? Do, do we see the piety of these men that think that they're doing God's work by doing everything opposite as Jesus fully calls them out? And then if, it, if that wasn't worse, they go to the Herodians. You're like, no, not the Herodians. Who are they? <laughs> the Herodians are an interesting group of people. So you've got the Pharisees, you've got the Herodians. The Pharisees wanted to follow all the law, all the tradition to the T, and if you didn't, then you were going to hell. Then you've got the Herodians. These are these guys that, that were Jews, but they kind of threw the tradition and all the law to the side, and they kind of sided with Herod. They sided with the Romans and said, we're going to do what you're going to do so we can stay in power and position, and they hated each other. You're like, well, like, how do you, like, how bad? So think of Republicans and Democrats right now. Think of red states and blue states. Multiply that by 100 is bad. They did not like, they're like, if we see you in an alley and there's no one around, Shy, shy. You're dead. That's what's going on. Like, that's what's going to happen. They hate it. So then you're thinking, well, wait a minute. So why in the world would these Pharisees go hang out with the Herodians and talk about how to destroy Jesus? Because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. See, here's what was going on. Jesus put everyone on blast. He didn't hold back. He says, you Herodians who have, who have rejected God and who he is and his traditions and, and what he's doing, you're living in licentiousness and doing whatever you want to do. You're lost. You're separated from God. 
and you need to be saved, and I'm the one that can do it. And they were put off. And the Pharisees are like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And then Jesus turns to the Pharisees and is like, you think that you can save yourself by following the law? You're lost. You're blind. You can't save yourself. And without me, you have no hope. You're like, wait a minute. He's attacking everybody. So now they're both like, okay, we got to get rid of this guy. He's making everything a real big problem right now. We've got to get rid of this guy. And that's what they went to do. And so they decided at that point they were going to start to find a way to plot to kill Jesus. See, here's something that's interesting as you look at, and ultimately, by the way, spoiler, they did. And Jesus went willingly. And he went to the cross so that we could be saved. That was the way that we could have restoration. That's the way that we could have our souls restored by Jesus taking our place, dying for our sins, giving us his righteousness for those that have placed their life in the life of Christ. And I would say this, if you haven't done that, today is the day. If you go back to Genesis, what we see is that when God creates everything, there's a couple of words that we talked about, wasn't there? Remember the three words that I used there? Just quizzing. This is a harder question. Rest, holy, and finished. So God makes everything. It's perfect. You can't make perfect more perfecter, right? It's perfect. It's done. It was finished. There was wholeness and there was completeness. And he said it was finished and he rested. And then there was wholeness that the people could exist in with God. Let's fast forward. Jesus is on the cross. He is dying for the sins of the world. And he says, it is finished. There is completeness and there is wholeness through my sacrifice. And the rest that you desire comes from this sacrifice. See, it's funny. For most people, when we talk about Sabbath, we think, it just means don't work. That's a part of it. But if you think about why this was so hard for the Pharisees, because it meant you had to stop. It means you're not providing for yourself. It means if your value and worth is in following the law, it means that you have to keep following the law. Do you realize what they were doing on the Sabbath? They had turned rest into working the law, and by adding more law to it, they were actually working on the Sabbath. I saw that, by the way, 30 minutes ago in the back room as I was going through this. I'm like, I don't even know how I missed that. They had literally created the rest day to be a work day by following the rest rules. That's what they were doing. Because if their value was in following the law, they could never stop following the law. So they found a way to follow the law and work when you weren't supposed to. You see how broken that was? Jesus said, it is finished. The work is done. He's happy with what Jesus did, not with what what he did. For many of us, we keep striving to earn God's favor by following the rules or the codes or all the things like, I'm gonna make God happy. God's not happy with me. If your life is in Christ, he is very happy with you. He is perfectly happy with you. You are whole, you are complete, you are a child of God. You need to understand that that is the humility part of the gospel where there is no pride. Rest means 
giving up and surrendering your works and abilities if your life isn't his. See, if we were made for the Sabbath, if we were made to serve the Sabbath, that means that that Sabbath is in a chain that holds us back and it's connected to an evil and wicked taskmaster who won't free us. But what we find is that God is not that, that he gave us the Sabbath as a gift, which means that he loves us and cares for us and wants the best for us. Something to note, and I read every passage on Sabbath this week. Jesus never rebukes the Sabbath. He never says, stop doing it. He never says that. Sabbath isn't bad. It's not a bad thing. It's a gift from God. It's a constant reminder of how great and amazing God is and resting in him and his provision for everything that we need in life. Obviously, we're talking about on a cosmic scale of what we needed was forgiveness of sins so we could be connected back to the Father. But it's also that then flows into every other area that we can have rest on work, that we can take a day and not work and try to provide for ourselves. It's saying, God, you are. And it's a physical representation of the trust that we have in God, that he is the provider in our lives. It's interesting I was thinking about Chick-fil-A this week, and you're like, they're the best. I'm like, it's a chicken sandwich. Um, just made about 40 enemies. But it's a, it's a good chicken sandwich. It's just a chicken sandwich. Their model's unique, and everyone's frustrated with it all the time. They don't, they're not open on Sunday. You're not going to get a Chick-fil-A sandwich today unless you bought some and froze them and stuck them in your freezer. You're just not going to have one. They made a conscious decision at some point to say, we're not going to work on this day. We're going to take a Sabbath. We're going to let our employees take a Sabbath, and we're not going to require our people to work. And it's a model that they put in place based on honoring God. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not saying they're all righteous, but I'm saying that is the model that they have. They're doing pretty well. They've made a few dollars. You ever thought about how much more money they would make if they were open on Sunday? We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Yet they don't, because they're trusting God as providing and caring for them. And you know, it's funny, there's this blessing that comes out of it. There's this blessing that flows out of that idea. In Matthew, I'm going to read this, I'll, I'll read that later. Let me ask this question. <clears throat> what would it look like for you, once a week, to take a Sabbath, to truly stop working to truly sit in God's goodness and grace and mercy and love and kindness and provision. Like, well, I don't want to just sit there in a suit and a tie on my couch all week, and that'd be really boring. Yes, it would. I'm not suggesting that. But what if you realize that Sabbath was to have you enjoy all that God has done for you? Do you know that you can go on a run and enjoy the Sabbath? God has given you that. Like, if you're that kind of weirdo who likes to run and think that that's rest, good for you. Not me. That's just work. Do you know that you can go and you can play a round of golf and enjoy the Sabbath? It's my guy. <laughs> Do you know that you can go on a walk more than 2,000 steps? Do you know that you can cook food and enjoy it? We're about to continue our Sabbath out there. That's a beautiful thing. What would it look like for you to sit in that and just go, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to try to provide for myself. I'm just going to enjoy God and all the gifts he's given me. Because here's the thing. Why do we continue today doing that? Because it's the anticipation of the hope of the future that we have in Revelation 21 where God comes back and there is no more sin and there is no more death and we are perfectly with God 
whole and complete where sin has been abolished and destroyed and thrown into the lake of fire. That's what we're talking about. And so we get to do that every week as we look forward to that day when Christ returns. And so it's still for us today. Jesus says this. I'm going to end with this in Matthew 11, 28 through 29. He says this to us, and I think it applies to the entire topic today. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, and for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is a promise from the Savior of the world, the Sabbath incarnate, the Lord of the Sabbath, our Savior. Let's pray.